Welcome back to the Summer Party Pod. I'm Lizzie. I'm Hannah. And I am late for the introduction. <laughs> um, y'all, it's a little tense in the studio now. And by studio, I mean the Zencaster room because we have the enemy of the pod back. Bum, bum, bum. It's true. I've been sabotaging since day one. <laughs> true. You haven't been. When this was pitched to me as an idea, as a text bubble and iMessage, I have been sabotaging from the beginning. <laughs> he said, only if the hosts are really, really interesting. So, Sam, what's the what's the what's the consensus what's on the that? decision? <laughs> hmm. This is one of those audio podcasts, so they can't see me roll my eyes. Yeah, Elizabeth. The disrespect that <laughs> we endure as women in media is <laughs> truly astonishing. Ugh. I was going to say in International Women's Month, but that's done. It was March. I know we can't use that as an excuse anymore. Damn it. Ugh. It's um, always International oh Women's Month. Although I will say, um, not mm-hmm. to paint you as a misogynist, because um, I wouldn't do that. However, we all know it's Adaptation April. Um, yes. And so our book club book for this month is Little Women. And we're going to be having mm-hmm. a discussion about Little Women and its adaptations. Rock on. Shout out to Louisa May Alcott. Um, and when we first asked Enemy of the Pod Sam... Hey, will you come on for Adaptation April? We had earlier been talking about, because this is sort of an area where I would consider Sam to be something of an expert, we said, hey, what's a good book for us to do for Adaptation April? Or like something, and he suggested Little Women. We had already been talking about Little Women, so that kind of just reinforced that idea for us. And then, perfect. And then immediately you said, I do not want to come on and talk about Little Women. As a man, because that does not feel like it's my place. And I don't think I would be able to do that conversation justice, nor do I think I should. And I would like to give you give you uh, big ups for that, because... For knowing your place. Staying in your lane. I appreciate it. Just, and I said, don't worry, we weren't going to ask you. <laughs> and see, that's you can't give me props, because as a man, I already inserted myself there. Like... <laughs> In the process of, like, trying to shift lanes, I somehow shifted into a lane that women were supposed to be in. You were like, oh, don't ask. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to talk about little women. (laughs) No, but we really wanted you on to talk about this more general conversation about adaptations, whether that be book-to-movie adaptations, you know, page-to-screen, or screen-to-stage page to stage yes sam is somewhat of an expert on that there's a real plethora of adaptation venues going on particularly it feels in the last few years Mm -hmm. so hannah Mm -hmm. did you have someplace you'd like this conversation to start Oh, I didn't know. I I got that. Well, I, I didn't. Did you were the one who said that you did some research on, or you consumed some media. Oh, well, adaptation. I just did a little bit of research on adaptation theory. Um, 
and I didn't even do like primary source research. I like listened to a podcast from like 15 years ago where they talked about it, but like they're scholars. So it holds up. And then I went and found the footnotes. So uh, they were citing a theory of adaptation by Linda Hutchin, I think. Anyway, um, adaptation theory um, says that uh, you can think about adaptations two ways. You can think about adaptations as a product um, or as a process. So the product is like what happens like when you take something like from a novel to a film or um, a movie to a stage, for example, or also it could be when you change genre. So for example, like from an epic to a novel. Um, But then you also have to think about adaptation as the process of taking something, reinterpreting it, and then recreating it. And you can't think about things separately when you're thinking about adaptation. Nothing's in a vacuum. Sure. And that's what I got. Totally makes sense. I think those are all important things for us to keep in the back of our mind going into Mm -hmm. this conversation. Actually, and one more thing that they brought up in their discussion, which I do want to bring up now, so I want us to be conscious of it while we're talking about, you know, our favorite and least favorite adaptations, is about the kind of strong language that is often used um, when talking about adaptation, strong negative. So, for example, people will use words like unfaithful, um, other words like that that I can't think of off the top of my head um but like they cited in this book christopher columbus who was the director of the first two harry potter movies was actually quoted or like interviewed and he had said you know oh if i wasn't faithful to the books people would have crucified me and that's just one should a man named christopher columbus be i don't know whatever anyway um (laughs) also it's it's a strong word like people are uh very uh uh, sensitive, I think, about this topic and have strong opinions. Which, I mean, we're going to have strong opinions too, so carry on. The sort of, the book is better Yeah, lots of that. At all. Yeah. Sam, you said that you both prepped and re-prepped for this episode. Yes. Um, you both flatter me too much. Um, I'm trying to work on not being flattered. Um, I... Because I love, like, storytelling. I went to school, I had my BA in theater, and, like, that degree was so beautifully wide. So I got a lot of, like, management and, like, uh, directing and writing and that sort of creation. But then I also got a lot of, like, the study of human storytelling. Um, And you could have a whole separate podcast about how I believe that our ability to tell stories is so critical to our survival as a species. it's the reason we're still here um, because occasionally, right. We get these stories that were like, Oh my gosh, I need to tell that one again. How many flipping Batman movies have there been? Um, like, it's crazy. Um, or Peter Pan, right. What is it that people love about that story? That's like, Oh my gosh, I need to get into this, but we're talking specifically today about adapting things. Um, Hannah, your point was so astute. So thank you for citing people. That's so amazing. Um, um, <laughs> My pleasure. I guess we can kind of start with... Um, I'll kind of go with my opinion on adaptions and then maybe kind of morph into hot takes. Yes? Okay. Um, I think most of the time now, um, 
adaptions aren't really uh, like requests for reboots or uh, continuations or like reimaginations anymore. I don't think that's kind of what the media is consuming. Um, I think it usually means that if the franchise is still profitable, um, the audience is asking to feel the way they did when they first saw the thing. Um, like uh, Back to the Future, the musical is playing right now in London, uh, and it's transferring to New York, transferring, excuse me, to New York City uh, this summer, uh, and it's so cool. The music is amazing. Uh, the spectacle is all there. You got the car and like the whole thing, um, but like. Back to the Future, the musical. Hello, <laughs> like um, people. It's not like they wanted a fourth Back to the Future, um, because if they did that, people would be, as Hannah put it, like crucified. People would be like, "Oh my gosh, this doesn't live up." Blah, 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 blah. Um, so they just did a very um, like, let's pay homage to the '80s kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, this grand big old movie with big old songs and we'll take out some of the racism um, <laughs> and people are eating it up. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen uh, Beetlejuice the musical a whole bunch that got adapted screen to stage. Um, amazing. Um, and that's one of those instances where they made it better, right? Beetlejuice the movie is an art film uh, without much of a plot. Uh, hate to break it to the viewers at home. Um, but Beetlejuice the Musical has this cool plot about um, this girl dealing with suicidal thoughts and ideation after losing her mom um, and feeling so isolated in the world. Um, kind of coming to terms with that and what it means to move on um, with those pieces. Like, beautiful things that um, the writers of that show were like, I'm going to adapt this and kind of put my spin on it. Well, we still have this ridiculous demon running around <laughs> doing inappropriate things to books. Um uh, what else? Oh, Spider-Man the Musical? Oh, my uh, God. There are books written about this one, people. Um, pause this podcast right now. Go on Amazon.com. You might have heard of it. And There's, like, so many books about Spider-Man the Musical. Um, that is one of those adaptions that... Um, well, I won't go in, into all that. It didn't I know take. someone who was there. It's, it's a whole thing. Um that is a different podcast episode entirely, but um, that's one of those adaptions that they like miss the mark going A to B um, or things like uh, this is screen to stage SpongeBob, the musical mm -hmm. um, wow. that played to like super favorable audiences and then super angry audiences. Um, and this kind of goes into my hot takes here. Oh, um, yes. Spicy. There are people um in the theater world, in the art world, that they hear adaption, like screen to stage, jukebox, whatever, um, and they're like, I'm not engaging with it. It's bad. It's not original. Um, too bad. Tell me an original story. Go ahead. I'll wait. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it, it's sort of this elitist theater thing that even some theater schools are kind of teaching that adaptions and uh, things like that are just kind of inherently bad, which I think is gatekeeping um, and very stifling to young artists. Um, and if people love original content so much, um, then they need to go to their friend's uh, little play in the back of a hardware store uh, and go like consume it um, to prove it rather than seeing like the 40th Marvel movie to come out this year. Mm -hmm. 
you're just feeding but the machine. I think there. that's a good point that uh, it really is good for accessibility because things like you know a movie is way more accessible to a lot of people than a book or a series of novels or something. And similarly, something like Beetlejuice the Musical. I'm I myself am way more likely to go see that and enjoy that than the original film. I would have mm-hmm. no interest in that. So it is a thing of accessibility. It also is the question of, you know, yeah, do we need the 40th Marvel movie? Um, how many times are we going to remake this? Do we really need the the Dance Moms parody musical? No offense to the girls making that. I do like a lot of them. But, you know, it's, it's a line. You're going to get doxxed. <laughs> no, we're not big enough. In three years when we blow up, they'll yeah. come for me. Yeah, it's definitely like it. The gatekeeping is so interesting to me. Um, it, before COVID, there was this whole like, ah! um, because Beetlejuice the musical was playing in the Winter Garden, um, very happily selling out. It had a rough start, but kind of found its footing when it actually started supporting women in and out of the show. Interesting how that kind of happens. Um, and they were selling out packed houses, um, but then they were getting evicted uh, for the music man. Um, the most neutered production of the music man I have ever heard. Um, and do, are there things we definitely need to like cut out of the music man? It, yeah. Um, however, um, I don't know that I've ever, in terms of like, Oh, this was good art. I didn't engage with music man nearly the same way as I did, um, but there were so many people um going on and on and on, but all these kids angry about Beetlejuice, they'll get over it and la 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 la. Um, welcome to Gatekeeping 101 from old men that are paying these $600 for the mezzanine tickets. Um, miss me with that. Mm-hmm. And clearly they didn't get over it because then Beetlejuice reopened at a different theater. <laughs> Yeah. And did better. And Lizzie, I think that I wrote this thinking you would have an opinion on it. Um, I think that um, movies are kind of the thing right now for big ba- big budget adaptions um, rather than like stage or things or TV. Um, I feel like movies are a little more accessible to wider audiences once it makes that infinitely difficult cross out of American pop culture and like overseas um and i know you are my favorite person that hasn't spent hasn't been in america their whole life um (laughs) um, yeah yeah i think it's interesting our favorite foreigner yeah (laughs) so i think it's interesting what you just said sam about the difference between a like a book to movie adaptation and a book to TV adaptation, because for those of you who are at all like on book talk, like the reading side of TikTok, oh, that is like a lot of Colleen Hoover, a lot of that, etc., which is where a lot of like the popular stories that are currently being adapted into other media projects. A lot of that source material is coming from that, I don't want to say a genre because it spans genres, but a specific subsection of books that have been deemed popular by a certain subsection of people on the internet. And so there's a lot of discussion happening right now about how it seems that we are entering a 
period. There's sort of a wave of specifically booked TV adaptations coming out. So we saw it. Um, Netflix oh, did like Shadow and Bone, which is just like had its second season come out super super successful um i literally people and the conversation with friends i literally just started watching shadow and bone this morning like there you go but yeah the emily henry book just did they announce the movie was it oh no didn't they announce another one too all of them are oh see that's the thing is I don't know how about how you feel. I think I texted you, Lizzie, this when we talked about it. I like I don't know if I'll be able to bring myself to watch those. Cause I love those books so much. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend about this actually just the other day. And she was like, even if and she Caroline, silly girl. She was like, even if Milo Mannheim's in it, and I was like, okay, first of all, he's not my favorite actor. He was just like a thing in August 2022. Still love the guy, but um, <laughs> But I was like, no, like, I love those books so much. Like, I'd be worried. What if, what if the adaptation just, you know, <laughs> I don't want it, to be one. What if it tainted your love of the story? Yeah. Yeah, that's an understandable, um, that's an understandable concern. But I think the thing with the TV shows is so interesting because we talked about book to movie adaptations, it feels like, so frequently when there was that wave of, like, The Hunger Games, The Fault in Our Stars, the tail end of the Harry Potter movies. The Divergent movies, um, Cassandra Clare's uh, City of City of Bones, City of something, City of whatever. Who knows? The one I where it's uh, Lily Collins and another guy who's blonde and pale. It doesn't matter. Um, but there was like it felt like for like five or six years there. It was like every YA book that Hollywood could yeah. get its hands on was getting adapted into a movie. And now we're kind of getting that with TV shows, um, which I think is interesting because it's coinciding, I feel, with sort of the reintroduction of serialized television into normal culture. Yeah. Where things are getting released week by week. turned back to cable. Week by week. I, for the first time in literally years, have three shows that I am actively waiting on a week-by-week basis for the next episode to come out. Because it's Abbott Elementary on Hulu, it's Ted Lasso on Apple TV, and it's The Mandalorian on Disney+. And I wait for those every week, and then I watch them. I... What's the last time (laughs) What Sam said, though, about... Because I agree, I think you're right, Lizzie, that, like, the tv thing is coming back but i think they they have been doing the tv thing for a bit like to television shows or serialized shows on streaming services versus just movies but it feels like for a long time or for the past few years it's kind of been a thing where they've been doing it but it's not been super successful like obviously like this isn't book to television show but like riverdale was like you know comic to television and yeah that was successful but also like universally shat upon and then they tried to do the Powerpuff Girls, and that didn't even make it past pilot. Um, I didn't even know that had come out. It hasn't come out. They created a pilot, and the pilot didn't even show. Just, like, uh, behind the scenes, like, photos were leaked. And everyone was so, like, this is shit. And then the, sc- the script was leaked. Oh. And it was, like, Powerpuff Girls meets Riverdale... 
meets Euphoria, but like before Euphoria, because this was like maybe in 2018. Um, That's weird. So it, it feels like, you know, it was kind of like, it feels like maybe like the CW had its reins on the, on the, on the TV adaptations. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily going well. Sure. It's, it's definitely like a weird thing that people are still not prepping for when they make their art the media like this is the internet. Um, people are like, the internet's not going to affect me. No, the internet loves me. It doesn't. It does not love you back, girlfriend. Um, I think about, um, this is really like a niche uh, thing, but like Susical the Musical. Um, sorry uh. if that activates anything for anybody. Um, <laughs> um, that's a, an adaption of all the Seuss books p- piled up into this like two hours of chaos like super fun you know um out of town was playing the super great reviews i think in like denver or wherever it was trying out um but then this creepy little thing called the internet crept in um and internet forums started happening right um where people on internet forums people in denver or wherever it was testing started talking like oh i didn't like this this is kitty it's whatever um And so this thing that was getting super amazing reviews out of town, as soon as it landed in New York, um, tanked in ticket sales. They had to do everything they could to like try and revive that poor thing. Um, And it like tanked on Broadway because people already had an opinion about it based on what people on the internet were talking about. Um, Oh, I didn't know that about Susical. Because now it's like super popular in middle and high high school and community theater. but. Oh yeah, and and they did everything to that poor show. They they rewrote it. They stunt casted it. I think Rosie O'Donnell was in it for a time. Kathy Rigby, like they just kept like wow. pumping stars into this thing, hoping they could get Something seats split. filled. And it, um, and they just never really got it to click. <coughs> Funny um, girl. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she said Guess what she I said. <laughs> I heard nothing. <laughs> Um, Actually, Sam, that kind of brings me to a question I have for you, and it's only kind of related. Well, it is. Actually, it is. I wonder what your thoughts are. Actually, I don't even think Lizzie and I have talked about this, but I'm especially interested to hear what Sam has to say about what are your thoughts on Bad Cinderella? (laughs) Okay. Hold on. For context, you should all know. Oh, hold on. I can't say your last name. Sam, Enemy of the Pod, (laughs) is perhaps number one Andrew Lloyd Webber hater Oh, good. You got me nervous. I, here's the thing. I need to preface everything with everything. Uh, My thoughts go out to Andrew Lloyd Webber right now. He's dealing with the very tragic loss of his son. Um, I didn't know that. uh, And um, no matter what you think about it, Phantom is closing this week in New York City. Like, it's a big transition time, like, in his life. Um, Mm -hmm. So, prefaced, I'm not a monster. Um, However, I I can respect Andrew Lloyd Webber for what he's accomplished, right? Like Jesus Christ Superstar, he makes a lot of musicals that you're like nobody could make that a thing, and he made it a thing. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar, Cats, um, Starlight Express, all those weird like is that a thing? Aspects of Love, um, it, Bad Cinderella. Uh, you know, when it was over across the pond in London, Lizzie and I kind of were interested in the take when it was just Cinderella. I remember that because it had um, 
who did it have, Lizzie? Oh, uh, Carrie Carrie Fletcher, Fletcher, right? Carrie Fletcher, yeah. Um, and so we expressed some like common mm-hmm. interest, like, oh, this could be good. And then he released a song with her, and we were like, okay. Um, but uh, the world was not really hungry for another Cinderella uh, adaption that was kind of mm-hmm. had a lot of lazy writing. Um, yeah. both from the book and the music, uh, and Angela Weber lets, yeah, he let some things slip and the cast found out mm-hmm. and, um, and it was I, set on stage in public in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Um, and I think with bad Cinderella, with the shift they've done in the New York marketing, mm-hmm. they are part of this weird little sect of like, old, old men that think they know what the young women of the world want um, because they see it mirrored, right? Um, it it kind of has this like, yeah, I, what, am, what, I spray printed the wall. What? Um, like, I'm not like other I girls. Have, yeah, I've been to New York City a couple times uh, since it's been there. Um, and the, the building, they literally have like the spray paint on it and whatever um that press conference i don't know if you can share this to your stories whenever this goes live yeah. Like, yeah. i'm not your cinderella i'm your bad cinderella like when that went live i thought i was going to pee my pants <laughs> i really um, thought perhaps it was like crafted by a pr team to be something that got joked about on the internet so people would keep talking about it well, I love the theory that they changed the name, so now when you Google, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber, like, Bad Cinderella, like, it's just, oh, it's the name of the show, it's not the bad reviews. Kind of right. like the Frozen theory, Disney Frozen, It now it's not Miss Walt Disney's Frozen Head, it's the movie from 2013. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think with Bad Cinderella, there's a show playing not that far from it at the Marquee Theater, or it's about to move in. After the Jonas Brothers move out, they were just there. Um, <laughs> uh, called Once Upon a One More Time. Uh, it's a jukebox oh. of Britney Spears. Um, yeah. That I love me some Britney. Don't get me wrong. This musical looks like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Um, it's like, to sum it up very poorly, I don't know much about it. I'm not giving it its fair credit. It's like... Um, these women trapped in a world where they only read one book, suddenly a rogue fairy godmother plops on the scene and gives them the femme fatale um, and nothing will ever be the same. They realize they don't need to change for a man. It's literally what's on their website. Like, Yikes. It's just this whole sect of things. I'm like, okay. I see you didn't invite a woman into the room when you were making this. <laughs> That's something you did. Um... Interesting, but I, th- I think that's sort of my thing about adaptions now. Um, if you're gonna adapt it, then I think you got to be a little bold and kind of adapt. You know, um, Lizzie and I collaborated. I think it was our first collaboration. We weren't even besties then on anything goes. Um, many moons ago. Um, Back in the before times. um but anything goes like is i think adapted like screen to stage i think that was the order um but 
there's a lot of stuff in there, super racist, super misogynistic, um, that just is not okay. Um, but it's getting really good rewrites done, you know, a kind of a new adaption of the adaption of the adaption. Um, and some people kind of have beef with that, you know, like they kind of let their color show of like, I like the original text. Uh, and I'm like, well, your original text asked for like white kids from Maine to run around in yellow face. So <laughs> we're not going to be doing that anymore. Um, not us. I would like to specify. Not us. No. Um, but I was wondering if we could kind of go into our list of well done adaptions and then oh, other adaptions. Yeah. The two categories. categories like I, well done and other. Oh, well, well done, other, and then also a third, which is things that we would love to see adapted. Yes. Okay. I told Hannah and Sam here, as I was kind of prepping for this, making my list of um, adaptations that I think are really well done, I went into it like a big D-bag. Um expecting to be able to name like two and i came up with a solid chunk because there are things that i forgot are adaptations of things that then i remembered and i was like oh but that's like excellent that's like so well done so there you go sam as our guest would you like to kick us off perhaps with one of yours yes um feel absolutely free you can leave this in if you want. Feel absolutely free to cut stuff out for time because I have a list here. Um, uh, so I love to start with my faves. Um, let's go back to 2012. Um, curious incident of the dog at nighttime uh, that got adapted for the stage um, and was gorgeous. Um, people loved it. It's really not that common for. Uh, anything to get adapted to a play more than a musical. If it's going to the stage, a lot of times we're like, we're going to put it to song so it makes more money. Um, this was just one of those gorgeous like designs and uh, really it kept that insight and wit of the book um, with these beautiful uh, projections and designs. This was kind of at the forefront of like projection and theater. Mm -hmm. um, still very new. Um, so yes, love Curious Incident. Um, Jane Eyre had a production in London. Okay. Uh, that was crazy. Um, I didn't see it, obviously. Um, but from what I've read and, like, watched online, they went with a super psychological approach with, like, trying to make you feel as haunted as possible. And honestly, I'm kind of here for it. Um, Jane Eyre. Love Jane Eyre to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, a lighter note, uh, Matilda. <gasps> I love Matilda. Um, Which version? How did you feel about the new one? I loved it. I thought yeah. the new Netflix Matilda was like the perfect film. Um, so I loved the book. Um, I love Danny DeVito. I love that film. Um, loved the stage musical and then loved the adaption of the stage musical back to film. Loved it all. Um, I think the adaptions... Of all the, how do you say his name? Roldal, Rold. Yeah, I think Roldal. Um, a lot of those, when 
a director doesn't have a real clear idea of what they want to do, they get really caught up in production or really caught up in being cute or like quirky. Um, but every production of Matilda I've seen kind of dodges that. Um, we're just this, you know, clever little girl with an attitude, um, that just is here to do stuff. Um, like a lot of productions of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is another one I love, um, get super caught up in production because of how much fantastical nest there is in there. Um, uh, War Horse, 2007, that came to Broadway. Um, loved that. Um, this is controversial. Not sure if you've heard of it. Uh, Les Miserables. Um, Les Mis, gotta love it. Um, the Here's a fun like time in general um, from like book to stage is kind of where I'm like, this was a solid choice for you to move from. Um, uh, that was on my stage, list to, stage to screen. You know, there's your opinions about it. Um, but um, here's a fun fact with that one. Les Mis was kind of like received mixed reviews when it first opened. Fun fact. Um, Oh. It was not a classic when it opened. Sure. Um, but audiences were like, no, it's a classic. You're all wrong. Uh, <laughs> and They were right. Uh, they were right. Yeah. Cameron McIntosh, the producer, had just come off producing Cats, um, which is another adaption of poetry to stage. Um, and people were like, all right, you're really, you're over, yeah. like, where are you going with after this? Where are you going after Cats? <laughs> um, uh, Cabaret. Is another one I love. Uh, Goodbye to Berlin, which turned into Cabaret on stage. Um, Sally Bowles is everything to me. Um, yep. The Color Purple. That's a good one. The uh, Color Purple, good book to musical adaptation, good book to movie adaptation. All the things. Shout out um, to the girl Oprah. Oh, yeah. I, all the days um into the woods is kind of a weird one maybe kind of a stretch to call it an adaption but um all the fairy tales into one centralized well, and woods. it is stage to stage to film so that's it's true. all the things there you go and that was a um, fun film too it is a fun film do we want to do all of these lists together or do we want to swap i think good we should swap good. let's swap yeah good please good um I didn't come up with a list. Like I said, I wasn't really prepared. But the first thing that came to mind for me was Emma, the 2020 film. Mm. Love. With Anya Taylor-Joy. With Anya Taylor-Joy, Queen of My Heart. The most um, fantastic set design. Most fantastic set design, amazing costume design. A lot of these, we, it's kind of been a resurgence um, lately of kind of the Regency uh media you know we all, everyone loves bridge yeah the bridgerton of it all i mean pride and prejudice is they keep remaking over and over and i'll never say no i mean i'm reading it right now but uh you know when um that came out just like a year after i think the little women uh m the greta gerick one which i really enjoyed i also did love that maybe we'll talk sob. about that later so we'll the talk about it later this month it's one of the reasons i'm willing to reread this big ass book but um it got a lot of flack for things like costume design and hair and makeup and things like that even though it did win the oscar for best costume design a lot of like seamstresses and costume designers were kind of like eh, i probably shouldn't have won but emma did it right 
they had the bonnets. Mm-hmm. They had the corsets. Yeah. I don't know, Lizzie, do you have some ideas? Yeah, well, that's interesting that the first one you thought of was Emma, because my first one is Pride and Prejudice 2005. Of course. With Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Excellent. Um, I do think it's interesting, before I get into the rest of my list, something that I was taking, I wrote in my hot take section, it's not necessarily a hot take, it is just, I think, an interesting thing that I noticed. Um, I feel like, for me personally, I have a really hard time critiquing adaptations of things that are adaptations of what I would deem a classic novel or like a classic piece of literature and I wonder if it's because it feels so far I don't want to say it feels far detached from me but like I have read Pride and Prejudice so many times like realistically I have probably read even if it's just going back and reading bits and pieces of it I've probably read Pride and Prejudice once a year Every year since I was 13. T. I read it all the time. Give me a Muppet and, version and I will join you. Uh, and I am... <laughs> I would never in a thousand million years consider myself to be an expert on that novel. However, when the Hunger Games adaptations came out, you bet your ass I had opinions on that. <laughs> I felt very, I felt very much uh, not only capable, but dare I say, obligated to give my thoughts and feelings on that. Um, so yeah, I don't know what that is. I wonder if it's just kind of the way our educational system, in a way that American society has taught us to kind of place these classic texts on a pedestal. And not interact with them like any other any other piece of literature that impacts that. I think you have to give yourself more credit. Um, it's English changes a lot. I mean, I'm sure that we're all aware of that. And like the way English is written, like people study Shakespeare their entire lives to get mm-hmm. to be how like Ian McCallan is or whoever. Yeah. Um, oh, because it's like even though the plays are largely uh, written and performed in English, like, it's not the same language. It's a different language you're translating. And so um, I think just the way our brains look at them with, like, Pride and Prejudice, right, you're kind of reading it more as, like, a historical text. Um, Like, I have something to gain and to learn uh, from this as a scholar, whereas, like, Hunger Games was written in our English. um, Yeah. So we got to, like, eat that up. Yeah. It's more accessible. Like we were talking yeah. about earlier. Now, that being said, I've never seen an adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream that I didn't love. Because I am yeah. I also might be biased. It's just my favorite. I saw an amazing production of it this summer at um, by the Folger. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. And they kept playing Dream a Little Dream of Me. But like the spooky version. Ooh. Anyway, I digress. It was oh, great. You told me about this. Yeah, I went, like, in August or July, and it was really good. I will say, this is a little side tangent, but I think it's worth talking about because it's so cool, and kids do such cool things. Um, So, Hannah, I don't know if your, like, school district did something similar to this or, like, your state. Um, Did you guys do, like, a one-act play competition? 
We did, although I never participated in it because I only ever participated in musical theater. You were a but it was something that, like, the yeah, I was the token dancer. So, um, but uh, we like our upper letter, our upper level theater classes would like uh, stage a one act and go yeah. compete, like in the state or something. Yeah. So we did our school did one act competition as well, um, and I distinctly remember. Our school always did interesting one-act plays. It was never anything anyone had ever heard of. Um, <laughs> however, you would go to these competitions and some of these schools would be taking on one-act adaptations of these very well-known like pieces of classic theater or classic literature like adapted for the stage. So there was one year that like there were... Um, there was a school that did Don Quixote as a mm-hmm. one-act stage <laughs> adaptation. And then the next year, there was a school that did a Midsummer's Night's Dream one-act edition. It was beautiful. Their costumes were freaking amazing. In that same year, there was another school that did a stage one-act adaptation of A Picture of Dorian Gray. Which is my least favorite novel I've ever read in my entire life. I hate that book with a passion. The stage adaptation that this group of like 16 to 18 year olds put on was so incredible. It shook me to my core so thoroughly that not only did I go buy a copy of the book so I could try to read it again. I found the email of their director and emailed her and was like, I just need you to know that your school's performance sent me, like, and they didn't win. That was, like, the incredible thing. They did not win. But I'm sorry, I just got a text from our friend Maddie that says, I don't get why people don't like Jimmy Fallon. So what if he laughs at everything? I do too. Fair. Um, but... Okay, so the next thing on my list of adaptations that I think are well done, these two, I think, kind of go together. The Fault in Our Stars movie. I think if you're talking about just, like, a really captures the vibe of the original text, didn't take out anything that I cared about too much, and, like, made the changes I thought it needed to make, I thought it was good. Excellent soundtrack. Likewise, The Perks of Being a Wallflower movie. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I never engaged in that. I've never read that book or seen that movie. Um, Very good. Of a similar time. Yeah. Good. Um, That's when Emma Watson was in, like, her pixie cut era, right? Yes. And Logan Lerman, isn't it? it? Yes. Okay. Um, the next one, interesting, Tuck Everlasting, both the oh. movie and the musical version I really liked as well. I loved that movie as a kid. It's probably, like, too young to be watching it. I got it from the public library. (laughs) I loved it. Great movie, and I loved, I loved the music that they wrote for that stage production. It just wasn't ready. That was my thing. Again, I could go into that whole thing on another podcast, but it just wasn't ready. A little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The next one, Outlander, the television show interesting i personally and perhaps i'll get some pushback about this 
I think Diana Gabaldon, who wrote the books, is an incredibly intelligent woman. And she is an actual honest-to-God scholar who, like, this is her, like, her decades of research into this time period have culminated into her just having this knowledge that she then used to build this world of the books. Um, And I think a lot of the reason that, because those books are so chunky and so detail-oriented, details like that don't have to be pointed out as explicitly in television and in film as they do in a book. Because in a book, someone has to make the conscious decision to write out a detail so you will know about it. But in TV and film, a detail can be visible. And sometimes a person just doesn't see it. Doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah, it's sort of interesting, like, this is not an adaption, but Stranger Things, um, how this is sort of a secret. They, Netflix and, who is that, the Duffer, Duffy Brothers, one of them. Yeah, Duffer. Um, it's always hard to tell because I've only ever heard Millie Bobby Brown say their name and she's got that accent. So, <laughs> um, Well, whoever, yeah, those men um, have been like s- kind of secretly editing season one and season two um, to like make their story make more sense in the later seasons. Oh, that's um, cool. Just adding little details or like changing a sound effect or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, it's and they're trying to like rectify some like super sketchy stuff <laughs> between men and women in season one. Yeah. Um, Lizzie, you haven't seen any of Stranger Things, have you? I've seen the first three episodes of season one. Ugh. <laughs> Eventually, Sam, Lizzie, and I talked about this. We're gonna do an episode or two where, because you know, we recommend stuff to each other all the time, and I would say we take each other's recommendations like ten percent of the time. Just because we have so much going on. So I was like, um, we're going to do something where, like, I'm going to force her to watch something, and she's going to force me to read or watch or whatever something, um, one of our recommendations one of these days, and then we'll do an episode or two about that. I cannot wait. Because I have stuff that, like, I know you'll like. And I know you recommend me stuff that I know I'll I'll like, but I just never get around to it. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, Lizzie has this theory that I'm always, what is it, like, three months behind her? Yeah, whenever I go through a phase of being really interested in something, I give Hannah all these recommendations related to it, and she's like, okay, thanks, and I know she's not taking any of them, but then three months later, she'll be like, I just read this book you recommended me, oh my god, this is the most incredible thing I've ever read. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I knew 12 weeks ago, (laughs) actually. But that's fine. So That's alright. Anyway, the rest of my list. One... Julie and Julia, featuring Amy Adams and Meryl Streep. Is oh, an yeah. Adaptation We've talked about that on the pod before. This book written by Julie Powell. I don't think of that as being a book-to-film adaptation, but it is, and it's also a perfect movie. Next, Bridgerton. I thought it was yeah. an excellent adaptation. I loved the books. Hot take from me, because Anthony Bridgerton's book is my favorite of the books. I actually... They changed so much of his story for that second season of Bridgerton. I kind of just have to think of them as two separate things. And I like them both. And third, Sam, I'm interested to see if you have an opinion on this. 
the Anastasia musical. Mm. Oh, I think that was a very well done adaptation. I agree. I was never really like into Anastasia. I'm going to get punched by my wife here in like 30 seconds. Um, This is her right? Yeah, it's her right. Women's History Month or whatever. Women's Month. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Women's Year. Typical man. Women's Year. The Year of the Woman. Um, Like it's a Chinese zodiac sign? Yeah, not Year of the Rabbit. Um, Anyway, um, I agree that it was super well done. I think there's a reason that that show got as popular as it did, especially competing in the princess landscape with Disney. Um, Like, it takes really good uh, content to do that. So, Mm. props. And also, I think they were very smart in their initial casting of that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because the Venn diagram of people who one of their first fictional crushes was Dimitri Dimitri from Anastasia and girls who had a crush on Derek Klana in middle school when they were really getting into musical theater. That Venn diagram is a circle. Is a circle. (laughs) And I'm in it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's all I had. That was on my list. So. All right, Sam. I love it. Others. My others. So not all of them are like adaptions I think are bad. I want to kind of like preface this list that way. Um, Just adaptions that I'm like, that was really something. Um, 1984. I George Orwell. I going to bring that up. Somehow I just knew um, my cheeky little brain. It was, I think the plague version of it got written in 2013, um, premiered on oh. Broadway 2017. Um, I didn't know massively that like it's super intense. It flew way under the radar. Cause it was like kind of impossible to market. Um, like you can still go to the broadway.com like page for it. Um, and it's like, you're going to see torture. You're going to see gunshots. You're gonna, like all the things that make Orwell's writing. So haunting. Um, people were like fainting and vomiting and stuff. Like, I don't know that there are like clips of it even because it's so unsettling to watch. I heard someone describe it as the clicking noise on a roller coaster as you're going up to the top of a hill. Like, um, it was like intense and the audience, the thing I think that made me kind of think like, Whoa, um, is that the audience was involved almost, I would say like non-consensually. I think there's some of it that you choose to engage with by like showing up at the theater. Um, but this was, it's like its own like intense thing. Um, but you know, 1984, everyone has their thoughts on it. Um, to kill a mockingbird. Um, People, um, that ran forever on Broadway in the Schubert Theater, um, literally forever. Um, and they did a really um, intentional job making that show accessible to people in New York City. I think they hold a record right now for like largest public performance in New York City because they took the play and moved it to Madison Square Garden and then yeah. let all the 
New York public school kids come and watch it for free. Oh. Um, it was like a whole thing. Um, very interesting. Um, Aaron Sorkin just knows how to write sentences. Um, mm-hmm. And that, uh, that? And you know, the part of it that I just always comes to my brain is just like it's another one of those stories and plays about white people discussing racism and processing racism. Um, that kind of just is like the the thing for me. Uh, moving down here, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Sure. Um, that has been adapted six ways to Sunday. Um, oh, there's a my favorite. Oh, I don't know. Um, what? I think my favorite. Lizzie, are you and I the ones that talked about this? Isn't Hunchback of Notre Dame? Isn't isn't there going to be a Disney live action with like Josh Gad and yes, others? I think that was a fan cast. I think and Chris Evans. Oh, is that not I, real? Let me check. I, I don't get all think my news that from um, I was wondering why they would bring Josh Gad back. <laughs> I mean, no offense to Josh Gad, but he was just literally LeFou. Ooh. Ooh. Sam, what was your researches? What are your thoughts on Sleep No More? Sleep No More. Um... I'm trying to compose a coherent sentence. Um, that's my one of my New Year's resolutions was speak uh, coherent sentences. Um, Macbeth has always been kind of a for me. I went through that phrase of that theater kid thing where I'm like, this is the most important thing ever put to paper. Um, I'm not entirely like super familiar with sleep no more um Mm -hmm. but i know enough about it um to think it would be something where i feel like i'd be overstimulated and disassociate um (laughs) and that is not a hard thing to accomplish for me ask lizzie hops like too many loud noises and i'm gone yep Um, anyway, my favorite adaption of it was from, uh, I guess it would kind of book to Disney movie and then Disney went back to the book and made it a stage musical. Um, the stage musical of it, so haunting. Michael Arden, Patrick Page, um, they go right back to the book, the dark tones of the book, Mm -hmm. um, leave behind those, uh, Disney things. It's so good. Um. But very expensive. That's why I never made it to Broadway. It only played at the Paper Mill in New Jersey. Um, and I'm heartbroken mm-hmm. about it. Um, wicked. Wicked. Weird chord. Yeah. Um, wicked is one of those, I think, those interesting things like Phantom of the Opera, um, Les Mis, all those things that um, take very far steps away from the book intentionally um the wicked book um is not super palatable like there's a lot of stuff in there that is just like dirty and violent and language and um but wicked the musical has been running for a million years and will never close um well that's what they said about phantom 
And yet. Well. Yeah. Wicked at least features and then more than one one. Add Cinderella, and we said, and that's a fact, Sam. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um. Phantom of the Opera, again, very, very different from the book. You know, in the book, the Phantom is like this monster, like creepy, crawly monster. But on stage, she's kind of like this sexy guy that wears sequins and lives in the basement. Um, <laughs> you, you can pick you which you're K-pop into. group just came out with a Phantom of the Opera's themed song. Album, what? actually. Yeah. What it did came you out say? with a new album called oh. Phantom. Who? The, oh. the, the K-pop group that I recently became obsessed with. How do they not know that? I'll send it your way. Don't you worry. No, thank you. Can't wait. They actually recreated a lot of the 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 set of the musical for the music video. It was pretty cool. Well, you can do that tomorrow because it's NC Tuesday. NC Tuesday. We have Ferrari Friday, and we're allowed to. Yeah, Hannah and I have started. uh, Yeah, things that there are only certain days that we can text each other about certain things. Because, like, I want to someone about Formula One, and Hannah does not care, so I can only do it on Fridays. And she wants to text me about K-pop things. And, like, I care a little bit, but, like, not really. Not as not much. That much. So she can... <laughs> joint custody. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you. Boundaries are important in any <laughs> successful relationship. Okay, so. um, uh, my last two here, Christmas Carol. Um... Oh, I. I um, it, everyone gets to adapt it. It's public domain. Um, like mm-hmm. I wrote one for a college a comedy group I did, um, and that was fun. Um, so yeah, that that's what one of those adaptions that I love because literally anyone can do it, and no one's going to stop you. Um, my last one. This is very new and very out of left field. Um, Goosebumps the musical. Um, it's this YA like adaption theater for young audiences. Um, it's like one hour, no intermission. Uh, they released, they recorded a cast album during COVID, right? Cheryl Lee Ralph, Alex Brightman, uh, literally RL Stein is in the album. Um, it is my favorite thing. That's so um, cool. Because, because it's good theater for young people. And we talk about, you know, not wanting to gatekeep. Um, and this is something that I, as like a person who will occasionally dabble in writing theater, I try to write as many like wide open doors for young artists to get in as I can. Um, because if I just keep writing for Sutton Foster, my dream wife, I'm sorry, honey, I love you. Um, like, you know, there's no room for other people to get in. Um, but um, if we make really good theater for young audiences, then we have really good actors. They got really good training. Um, and that is that on that adaption. Like your actual life. T. Slay. Yeah, I agree. Hannah, what about you? Mm-hmm. Any other adaptations um, you, you feel the need to talk about? You know me, I didn't plan ahead. Um, is this what we're talking about, ones we don't like, or just miscellaneous? I think it's miscellaneous, um, but if you don't have any, we can skip over to the last. 
Oh, you know what? Actually, I thought of earlier that I was going to bring up, and this isn't actually particularly to me because I didn't feel as strongly about it as most other people did, was when we were talking about YA, the Percy Jackson movies that came out in the late 2010s. Yeah, or sure. Early, 2000, early 2010s, late 2000s. Um, did not do well critically or to audiences. Yeah. And now they're coming out with a new adaptation, a Disney Plus show. Uh, Which, eventually. don't you worry, we will be watching. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that, uh, those movies, they only made two of them, did really poorly. I like, I mean, I was like 10 when they came out. So I was like, oh, like, whatever. It's a movie. I like to watch movies. But like, I understand um, now as an adult why they why they did poorly. Um, and if my little sister ever listens to the pod, and if she listens to this episode, she'll ha- she would have lots to say. In fact, if we ever, if we do watch the Disney Plus show, Lizzie, that would be one that she probably would be willing to come on for. All right. Um, not that we need that, but hi, Kate. Well, it could be fun. Maybe. Could be fun regardless. Join Maybe. the enemy squad, Kate. She, yeah, she would. <laughs> she would. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other, other ones. I don't know. I'm kind of feeling in a place of, like, no thoughts. That's fine. Do you want to... Skip on to our, our final final kind of column here. Final yeah. topic. Alright. Samuel. You're a creative so, person. Thank you. What are some things that if given the opportunity not necessarily that you would have to do it. If you could have the opportunity to see something adapted to another form of media. What would it be? Uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. <gasps> uh, <laughs> it's, already that book. it's already happening. I would love to see it as this generation's thirteen, the musical. Um, yeah, I like, love that book. Uh, yeah, I would one hundred percent like just play in the pit for that musical and live my best life. Um, in Usher. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. work. Work next office. door. Like yeah, across the street. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of love. Um, I think maybe it's kind of a Gen Z thing, um, but I love good YA stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always thought that uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda or Love Simon mm-hmm. um, would translate well to stage. Um, I mean, it translated super well to movie. Um, yeah. When I watch that, I'm like, oh, this is 100% going in the, like, everyone's Valentine's Day playlist. Um, This was a very, like, specific one I had to dig into my memory for. Um, There's a book series called Dorothy Must Die. Yes. Um, Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, Is that, like, kind of the steampunk-ish version of Wizard of Oz? Or am I thinking of something totally different? Kind of. Basically, like, this woman... Uh, I don't, I very vaguely remember the plot. I remember reading a lot of the books. Um, I think there were two or three. I don't know. Um, But this girl ends up in Oz, uh, except it's dystopia now. Dorothy is like a cult leader. Um, It's like a whole thing. Um, And I love, I think that could be a really good TV series. Um, I think it would not really make it in the market for um, stage because Wicked... We'll hold that slot forever. Right. 
Um, Bridge to Terabithia, anyone? Oh. I know. I remember sobbing like a baby. To cry. Um, I thought that'd be a great play. Um, wait till Helen comes. Did any of you ever read that ghost book when you were in like elementary no. school? I'm a wimp. <laughs> basically these two siblings move uh, with their family to this weird like out of the way town and the little sister um starts saying weird stuff to her family and her brother's like yo what are you talking about and she's like i don't even know um but then she starts saying things like you just wait till helen comes um and helen is this like ghost woman she's befriended that's like a demon um very spooky um theater is kind of trending spooky we need more spooky um Ooh, you know what so, yeah. I saw in London, like, maybe four years ago, was, speaking of spooky, The Woman in Black was the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, like, I don't do horror, I don't do thrillers, I don't do paranormal. Um, yeah, because wasn't there, was like, a so... group of you who went? Yes, it was me and a group of people uh, from my university. I recall that. that. That went. I had the worst sinus infection of my life, was forced to be there. Not that I didn't <laughs> want to be there, but, like, I was sick as a dog couldn't blow my nose it was scary as hell but it was really good all around bad time yeah <laughs> um this was a beverly cleary book for my childhood that i would love to see as like a tya play dear mr henshaw mm-hmm. um where the guy just writes letters to this author angry at his dad because they got divorced and um make mm-hmm. it a play um i'm really into memoirs those are kind of my thing yeah. these past three years. Um, March, John Lewis's memoir. Okay. Um, I thought would be a good like play set to music, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I saw on Reddit someone was like, oh, if this ever gets made into a play, John Legend should write the music. So that's sort of my hope is that John Legend does that. Yeah. Oh, that would uh, be amazing. And this is a very specific one, and I have no evidence to back it up. I'd love to see some sort of adaption of The Help um, on stage. Yeah. Ooh. That's um, awesome. That but, would be really good. I What you said about – what was it? Which one were you saying? You just mentioned something that I was like, oh, oh memoirs. This is something that's already been make, made that I should have brought up in my favorites. The Glass Castle – Mm-hmm. Yeah, really I love good that one. Movie adaptation of Jeanette Walsh's memoir. Again, if you're in the mood to cry, read or watch that. Yeah. Um, one that I think I might have brought up on the pod before. I can't remember. I've definitely brought up the series of books that I would love an adaptation. Unfortunately, probably they never will because um, it would be too similar to what was that show? Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. is the Sisters Grimm. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty good adaptation in itself. Um, Lizzie, I think I told you that you should recommend these to Maggie. Because she's yeah. probably about, maybe a little old. But, I mean, you know, she would enjoy them. Yeah. It's a series of books based on the original Grimm fairy tales. Kind of being told by, like, or, like, the protagonists are, like, descendants of the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. And so, like, everyone in the town are these fairy tale characters. Which I think is a really fun premise. I mean, it has been done a thousand times, so, like, it probably won't get done. But, like, if it did, it would be fun. Yeah. I think she did read the first one of those, actually. 
Ooh. Not to shock. They're a little young for her, but they're that so cute. Bugger. That wouldn't bug her. Love that. Anything else, Hannah? Um, not off the top of my head. I don't know. I feel like they've made everything. I have such <laughs> basic taste. Yeah, I, I really tried to, like, think of some things that were a little bit... I don't want to say obscure, but perhaps not right at the tip of everyone's tongue for mine. So the first one is a series that I think I actually just mentioned on the pod with Ian. I don't know if I actually mentioned it or maybe it got edited out. Um, so there's a book series that I really love. Um, first of all, I think in general, if film and TV is going to keep pulling from books for source material the Bridgerton people know what's up because there is such an abundance of content available in the romance genre and in the romance space oh my gosh and every subgenre, every form of trope you could look for it's all there so it's a paranormal romance series called Immortals After Dark by Cressley Cole it's massive. It's like 19 books long right now, and she's still writing them. Um, but there's a specific... And for that reason, I don't think it would ever get done. But I think done as a TV show, there's a specific subplot that takes up, like, spans, like, five or six of the books. Um, that is a basically, like, kind of Amazing Race-esque. So it's, like, kind of a treasure hunty feel kind of like a big scavenger hunt lots of enemies to lovers really cool like different sort of like supernatural stuff going on i think you'd be really cool in my dream world the script would be written by rick rorden under a pen name because i don't think he would ever actually write it because it's so adult but i think his brand of humor applied to this content for the script would be incredible because I think he's so funny. Um, in a similar vein, I'm a big fan of a historical rom romance. And because people are on the Bridgerton train, there's a series by an author named Sarah McLean. That's the Hell's Bells, which is essentially about like a Victorian era girl gang. And like one of them is a pickpocket. One of them is like a munitions expert. It's excellent. I think it would make a great like movie or like little tv show really feed off like also the people who are looking for like enola holmes but like more grown up my next one this is going into the stage do you know what i'm gonna say i don't think you do well tell us holes <gasps> oh my god i was just talking about that book I think you could do a very interesting stage something. Stanley Yelmax. With holes. Especially with... I always want to call her Madame Zamboni. <laughs> That's not her name. What's her name? <laughs> but I always want to call her Madame Zamboni. But with that... Isn't and it like, like Zeroni? Yes, Zeroni. Thank you. And with like the Stanley flashbacks... Stanley His name is more palindronic than mine. The flashbacks and all that could be super fun. That would be cool. Could be fun. That's such a good book and a good movie. Um, did you ever read the book Inkheart? 
No, but I know what it is. I remember it was quite popular. There is also a movie adaptation, I believe, perhaps. I don't think Brendan Fraser is in it, but I don't remember who is in it. But it's a man who perhaps looks like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> or maybe I'm a liar. Oh no, it's Brendan Fraser. Alright. Um, I think that would make a very interesting stage adaptation. Because it's very fantastical. Um, and I think you could do it kind of Matilda-esque. With the book theme of it all. And my last one, actually I just thought of, while Sam was talking about memoir it's not exactly a memoir but hidden figures <gasps> i thought that too i think it also i'm thinking like from a production standpoint what cool things you could do with like the space parts of it and, and the numbers and i think it could be so the physics cool. of it all the the smart people of it all and I specifically think you should bring most of the cast of the movie Hidden Figures to do the thing. Particularly Jim Parsons. Um, oh, I forgot that he's in that. Shout out to Jim Parsons. Yeah. What a, what a fascinating... Did you see that um, when Adnan Syed got out of prison, the, like, the first thing he did was have Thanksgiving dinner with young Sheldon? No, but you know what? Rock on, I guess. <laughs> but there you go. That's anyway. all I have. Those are my pitches. I do have one true adaptation that like, I so desperately want to occur, but I'm not going to speak mm -hmm. it into the universe because I really have deluded myself into thinking that I'll make it one day. So, oh, so I'm, not gonna say it. I'm not giving it away for free. I actually just realized I want, I'm looking at my bookshelf from here. I want a better Nancy Drew adaptation, like film or television. Um, the movie that came out in like 2007 wasn't Emma it for Roberts? me. And I was a Nancy Drew girl, the one with Emma Roberts. Yeah, it was fine, but like, it wasn't it. Um, I want like a good, it could be a show, it could be a movie. It's anything. I'm open they to Riverdale'd it. They Riverdale'd her. In that they movie. did Riverdale her. I don't want Riverdale. I want Nancy Drew. I'd even be down for spooky. I would. I would not. Um, I mean, I, I you know what I would. Yeah, sometimes they are, but they're also like she's like I'll solve your mysteries, but also I'll cook you a meatloaf because you know. Yeah, I agree. But so yeah, I want I want a better Nancy Drew adaptation for for the twenty twenties. All right. Someone make that for me. Love these ideas. We'll circle back. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone listening to the pod like is famous, you can't have this without crediting us and paying us. Hey, yeah. This is like a verbal trademark. Make yourself known now, please. We need funding. <laughs> yeah. Identify. For these ideas that we have. Okay, well, this is a delight. It's getting into the wee hours, and the midnights, I fear, could be getting sillier. Um <laughs> So, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, You were a delight, you. as always, even when you're brutally trying to take down two women in media. I felt... Our multimedia community. I felt I was pretty restrained today. You were. You were I opened with my bit, and then I put the bit to bed. I appreciate so. that. Yeah. 
we'll no, just it was back great. I wonder Sam always has good stuff to say when Lizzie and I are just talking out of our asses. Yeah. I'm wondering now, though, if this is all part of an elaborate plan and, like, if I play your audio backwards, it's going to be like one of those Beatles records that is talking about Satan or something. It is. Any phone call that we've ever had, Elizabeth, is like that. I would also like to point out, I tried to send a voice message to the pod the other day to insert somewhere in our Mm -hmm. outro, R-E, the uh, alleged breakup of Taylor Swift and Joseph Alwyn. Um, And then it didn't save. And I said, that's probably a sign from the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know what to think, but all the evidence that I saw today, and by evidence I mean like two Instagram posts, says that they're not broken up. So, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. But then also, who was it? You? That says Liza Minnelli t- Outlives tweeted oh, it. So Liza Minnelli Outlives tweeted true. it. That's my preferred news source. But, like, people or, like, Entertainment Tonight, I mean, not that these are super reputable uh, yeah. publications, but uh, edited their wow. articles that they no longer say, like, confirms. People confirms, yeah. Yeah. So, All right. I don't know. Yes, Sam, thank you for coming on. You were a delight as always. Thank you to Jocelyn for sitting you with you in that office while you do this. Um, yes, she is my ride. <laughs> um, just kidding. I drive. Um, That's true. Okay. You should. I'm getting a reaction. Like, for, the, for the comment about Sutton Foster. I <laughs> am. Um, I hope that one day we all get to work on a project with Sutton Foster so you can discuss our feelings out in the open because I know you also have complicated feelings for Sutton Foster. She's nodding. I, we're she, back on a level plane. Say, is she both of your ideal wife? I mean, if I can look that good over 50, that's how I'm trying to be. She's older than 50. Sunscreen. I know that. Sunscreen. I did not know that. Yeah. We're right. SPF, everyone. Hannah, thank you for potting with me. Always. Sam, the pod lives to see another day. No thanks to you. Hannah, take us away. This has been the Slumber Party Pod. This episode was edited by Lizzie and collectively conceived of as a postcard crisis by Lizzie and Hannah. This episode has been distributed by Anchor, and we hope you'll join us again next week. It's not being Anchor anymore, but whatever. Whatever. Distributed by, distributed by the internet. Are we